Hi, everybody. I'm Wendy Murdoch, and this is Webinars with Wendy. I've been doing a series of webinars during the pandemic to entertain myself, visit with friends, and learn something new. Today, my guest is Sally Batten, and she and I met on a trip to Alaska. So what year was that, Sally? Do you remember? I, I'm thinking that was four years ago. Four or five. I think yeah. it might have been five because it kind of came up on my Facebook feed. Yeah. It, it can't, it's hard to believe it's five years. But anyway, we, the, we were invited up to Alaska to do um, this really great clinic. And um, Patrick Stewart was, not Patrick Stewart. Daniel but- Stewart. The, the, star, <laughs> the, the Star Trek actor was not there. Oh, darn. He's my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> um, Daniel Stewart, Sally, and I were the clinicians, and right. we had a great time, and it was a, yes. a lovely opportunity to get to meet Sally, so I'm so glad that she's decided to join me today. So welcome, Sally. Thank you for coming on the webinars. Well, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to, uh, to share my knowledge of riding in college. That's great. So Sally, um, give us a bit of your background. You've, you've been uh, working with college and stuff a long time, but how, but how were you a horse kid all your life or? Well, I, I'll actually talk a little bit more about my riding background once I get into my slideshow, but, but my kind of professional background is that I have been uh, coaching in the collegiate world for 35 years. So I started at Centenary College in New Jersey and I was there for six years. And it's now Centenary University. And then in 1990, I came to Dartmouth College in Hanover, New Hampshire. And I was the director of riding and the head head coach of the varsity equestrian team at Dartmouth for 30 years. And in that time, I also was on the Intercollegiate Horse Show Association Board of Directors, which is the IHSA, which I'm sure almost all your listeners and and watchers, viewers um, have heard of the IHSA, but um, I was a regional president. I was uh, the national steward for 15 years. Um, I received a lifetime achievement award. I was inaugurated in 2019 into the inaugural IHSA Hall of Fame. Oh, wow, uh, that's exciting. (laughs) Along with a couple other coaches and uh, a horse from Cornell and uh, BZ Madden. So, wow. yeah, so I was, <laughs> I was in the class with her and I got to meet her for the first time. So that was great. You know, I, I worked at Dartmouth uh, a long time ago, but it was before you were there and they didn't have an intercollegiate program when, when I was there, it was, uh, when did I, I, it was out of college, I came out of college. I went to UNH, University of New Hampshire. Oh, okay. And I wound up working at Dartmouth Med for Gibbons G. Cornwell III. Oh, okay. Yeah, I know. It's a great name. I love that name. Yeah. Um, But that was in the early 80s. So they didn't have a riding program at that time. Right. They they had a very small, they rode out a barn. They had a boots and saddles club since the 30s. But the, the team actually started, they built the barn where I ended up living and teaching at for all those years in um, 79. So, so they had just started, I think. Yeah, it wasn't something that, you know, it was very well known. Obviously, I'm sure the students knew about it, but I I was um, uh, an employee. So, but that's interesting that it started in 79. I didn't realize that. Yeah. Same facility that you were in or? Uh, Yes, they, they built uh, uh, William Morton, who was the chairman of American Express and a, and a Dartmouth grad. 
donated his dairy farm and they converted it into stalls and built an indoor arena. Wow. And yeah, so- um, How far off campus was that? It's, it's only eight miles, it's in Aetna. Which is, oh, I lived in Aetna. No way. <laughs> yeah, I lived yeah. in Aetna. Oh, wow. That's really yeah. funny that I wouldn't have heard about it because that was... Uh... Yeah, our property abuts Blueberry Hill and that whole uh, development there. So, yeah. Wow, yeah. that, you know, it's such a small world, you realize. Right, right. Um, so, <laughs> so I retired from Dartmouth in 2019 and um, I had actually started in 2010 I started, I, I was a little disillusioned with uh, regular hunt seat equitation judging, which is so subjective. Yeah. And I wanted to come up with a more obje objective format. So I developed the Athletic Equestrian League. I started it in 2010 with uh, 22 riders and three teams. And it has spread uh, all over New England. It's on Long Island. It's in upstate New York. It's in Virginia, actually. Wow. Uh, yeah, it's in the- okay, so You're gonna have to really give us a good explanation of what that's all about. I will, I, and I'm gonna talk about it in my slides. Awesome, because that's, is that open to anybody? Is it- Yes, open? yes, it's, it's from, it's, uh, it's for first to 12th graders. So we have a first to third grader development, we call it the minis, and they're the development um, section. And then the fourth through 12th graders not only compete individually, but towards team titles. And then it's also for adults. And this past fall, I started AEL Collegiate. So we cover every, <laughs> just about every age group, except for under first grade. Yeah, because, you know, I mean, I grew up in Hunters in Stanford, Connecticut, and um, right. it was very subjective. And yes. Was, you know, part of the problem, it became, when I was there in the late 70s, the color of the lining of your coat. I mean, I know, I know, I know. Um, so yeah, so awesome. I am looking so, forward to this. Yes, yes. <laughs> so I'll, I'll talk about that, about that more as we, as we go through. Awesome. And so I retired from Dartmouth so I can concentrate on the AEL. And also I, um, through the years, I started teaching clinics. As you just said, we met in Alaska and I've been there a few times for clinics. I go to Hawaii a couple times a year. I'm, I'm up to go again in April and teach there. And I uh, have taught around New England. I've taught in Virginia, Ohio. And I even had the chance to teach in South Africa twice. Oh, wow. And yeah. And one of the years I actually got to do a instructor's clinic. So I had 35 instructors from all over the Cape Town area um, come and I taught them an instructor's clinic. So that was super fun. So and you, teach, you teach a variety of things, right? I yes. know you teach polo cross and yes. Yes. So, so I, I wrote the first book that was published on the sport of polo cross what is polo cross? You're all saying it is like lacrosse on horseback. So it doesn't have much in common with polo, except that you're on a horse. Right. Um, but yeah, I travel around. I did two clinics this past year. I was named to be the coach of the United States youth polo cross team that was going to go to Australia last summer. Oh, I know. <laughs> And darn COVID canceled those plans. So yeah, well, I hope they'll I get coach. rekindled once we get things under control. Right, right. 
and and I coach when I teach clinics, I coach a lot uh, like how I did how I coach my team. So we do a lot of fitness stuff that I call equisize and um, a lot of work with no stirrups and and a lot of horsemanship too. I think that that the equitation world has kind of lost a sense of its of its horsemanship. So that's a big part of what I teach in my clinics also. Yeah, because you also teach for pony clubs, so that makes sense. Yeah. You, you know, you'd bring in a lot of the horsemanship. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I teach at a lot of pony clubs, and and a lot of times, like when I teach in, on Oahu, I'll I teach at six different barns and four or five different pony clubs. So, you know, it it just somebody will bring me to an area and then uh, kind of share me, and I'll travel <laughs> around and. And a great um, way to do it. Teach the clinics. But um, what has come out of one of the reasons I retired was I, I just really miss teaching all different levels. And so, you know, when I coached the team, it was all hunter seat equitation, or as I always said, it was balance seat disguised as hunter seat equitation. <laughs> That's really what I taught. And um, I miss the different ages and I miss the different uh, uh, abilities. So, I really wanted to retire and concentrate on my riding league and teaching clinics. And then my other project that has happened this past year is, uh, as you know, because I picked your brain a little bit about it. My yeah. book was picked up by Trafalgar Publishing, Horse and Rider Books, and it's called Athletic Equestrian, Ride Like a Varsity Athlete. And it's basically everything that I teach in clinics. Um, I use various teaching tools such as I use basketball dribbling glasses um, that have the bottoms uh, blocked out for riders that look down, have a habit of looking down. So they, oh, I they have wear something the for you that's, uh, hang on a second. <laughs> okay. Because they're so ugly that I've been working mm -hmm. on this project for years. Okay. And finally have perfected it. Oh, it oh. Just right? through the middle. Right. So I'm calling them lookup glasses and we're going to have them in production this spring. Oh my gosh. Yeah, because those basketball dribbling glasses are really ugly. I know. I <laughs> and know. these are going to be fun and multiple colors and with a slip because I've been teaching. So funny that you bring that up. I've been teaching using that, I don't know, for how many years. Yeah. Because riders look down and yelling at them to look up doesn't work. No, no. Right? But if you, you need walk, a, a you need something tangible. And I, I use, um, actually, since you grabbed yours, I'm going to, um, but basically the idea with our lookup glasses is that you block the vision down below. And so there's no value in looking down. So you have to right. look up. Well, the nice thing too, about those is these basketball dribbling glasses are hard for people that wear actual glasses because it, it, it pushes their glasses right. too close to their face. Yeah. So those will be great for people that wear glasses. So I also use, these are cat toys that I use to help riders keep their fingers closed. Yep. So oh, we have... I... <laughs> okay. Now wait, I got to see if I can find mine because uh, I had little ponies. Sorry. I keep disappearing off the scene. I had little ponies. When you pulled the string, it vibrated in your hand. Oh. <laughs> I found those in Germany. I've got them. So... I had a whole herd of them somewhere. 
But, okay. you know, things kind of, they, they wandered away. I don't know. Yeah. But it's I so interesting. Craft sticks to put in their gloves so that they don't break over the wrists. Yep. So I have all these teaching tools that I use. And it's um, so funny because you and I actually haven't shared any professional right. uh, stuff. And here we are on the same page with, oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, but that's the thing is if you, if, if you create an environment that makes it easy for the student to do and right. has its immediate feedback, right. then they're much easier to, you know, just yelling at them doesn't work. Right, right. Yeah. And uh, so there, a, a reader just said something about using a face mask. What I used back in the day at Dartmouth, I didn't have all these different teaching tools. And I had one writer that just looked down and I said, you know, I wish I had an Elizabethan collar <laughs> to put on you, but I didn't. But I went up in the tack room. I grabbed one of those old eventing vests, not the kind now that blow up. Yep. They're stiff. Yeah. And I put it over her head and she was looking out the armhole <laughs> with this eventing vest and, you know, and around her neck so it didn't fall off. And she's looking out the hole and she's like, I will never look down again, ever, ever. It's just, it's about putting value on it so that the person recognizes their own habits. Right. Because if you don't know you're doing it, you can't change it. Right. Yeah. Right. That's awesome. So I, I'm so, sure one of these days we'll get a chance to like share our toys. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And then my, my latest project is um, I've started podcasts on riding in college. And, and uh, I am hoping that at the end of my slideshow here, I have a slide uh, telling everyone where to go to listen to those podcasts. Awesome. That's great. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. All right. Well, let's dive into your PowerPoint here. Okay. So we are going to share the screen. Yep. There we are. Excellent. So I call this saddle studies and showing. And the, the photos. Uh, those are some photos taken from the IHSA. As I mentioned before, that's the Intercollegiate Horse Show Association. And I talk a lot about it because that's what I was in and that's what I know best. But there, there are other organizations too, and I'll talk about those. And uh, you're going to talk about the history of um, uh, intercollegiate riding because it's really changed a lot, hasn't it? Yes, yes. And, you know, I'll, I'll give a little brief um a brief blurb about the IHSA. It was started in uh, 1967 by Bob Cashione, who up until recently was the executive director of the IHSA. And he, I've just interviewed him for one of my first podcasts. So you can, you can find out more about how the IHSA started, but basically he, he just, he went to Fairleigh Dickinson University. He didn't have a way to ride and, and he went to a local barn and he said, um, you know, if I get some other students here to get you some business, like, an, and offer it as a PE, a physical education class, can we ride here? And they said, yes. And then he wanted to compete. And he said, let's see, you know, how can we make this affordable? So they made it affordable by riding the host school's horses. So you don't have the expense of trailering your horses all over. You don't have to have a fancy school string that you have to try to, you know, compete with the, with the big guys. And that's how it all, that's how it all started. So um, it's the IHSA on the hunt seat side is uh, judged on 
hunter seat equitation. So the rider's position is being judged because it doesn't really matter, you know, what the horse does underneath you. Now, that being said, obviously it's going to be easier to sit the trot on a smooth horse than <laughs> a bouncy horse. So you do have that factor, but that's really how it all started. And um, so there's flat and fences uh, for those that qualify for the fences. I'll talk about the different levels a little bit later. And um, they also started Western. Uh, so there's horsemanship and reining. So that's, that's kind of a brief and, and it's, that's it's, a fairly recent development to add the Western, isn't it? Well, I think it's, oh gosh, I, I hate to even say 20 years or. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's been around a while. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Okay. Definitely. Yeah. It's Groundhog Day every day here at my house. <laughs> okay. Now, let's see if I can change this. Same. Oh, there we go. There you go. Okay. So how did I start my career? I told you a little bit about how I started my professional career, but I started riding in the fifth grade. I went to Camp Tippecanoe in Ohio and I grew up in a city. I grew up in Canton, Ohio, no horses to be found. No, I mean, we had dogs, but I was this animal lover in a non-animal lover family. And my parents, didn't really know what to do with me, but they sent me to camp to a canoe and I took riding lessons. And there, there we go. There's the beginning of the end, right? That's awesome. And I, I didn't realize there was a camp to canoe. That's an old saying, tippy canoe and Tyler too. Is just yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. So then, um, you know, at first it was just lessons. And then I got to go for a whole week of ranch camp. And what I recently said on my podcast, you know, it was 15, 15 girls all riding in Western saddles with no helmets on, like galloping all over camp. You know, it's so, so scary now <laughs> when yeah. I look back on it. But then I wanted to be a vet and I went to the College of Worcester, a liberal arts college in Ohio, in, in Worcester, Ohio. And I took Chem 101 and I was like, oh, I can't do this. So I stayed there for two years and then I transferred to Lake Erie College oh. in Painesville, Ohio. And I went into equestrian studies. So I majored in equestrian studies and English and uh, learned, I didn't learn how to play polo cross at Lake Erie, but I found out about polo cross because that was one of the first places where it was played in the United States. So then when I got my job at Centenary, I learned how to play polo cross right along with my students. So that's how the, that's how polo cross all started. And then, you know, I've done, like most of us of a certain age, we've done everything, right? Western, side saddle, saddle seat, uh, jumping, fox hunting, uh, you know, a little bit of everything. So that's kind of my background. I miss the side saddle in that collection, but yeah, <laughs> eventing, I added eventing. Yes, I did a tiny bit of that too. So the Intercollegiate Horse Show Association, I can't seem to get the, my little toggles to work. So I'm trying to be okay. gentle here on the pad. So as I, as I described, I just say it eliminates the cost of horse ownership and allows a 
lot of students to compete as I've done these podcasts, coaches, you know, the team sizes range from 20 riders to centenary said their team is unlimited at, you know, they have like, I forget what he said, 50 riders or something like that. So wow. it, yeah, it just, it depends on the, the school and how to find the right school for you is going to come up in a, in a slide upcoming. So we'll talk about that. So the, the hunt seat divisions are introductory, which used to be called walk trot. Oh, okay. You, you need to have had fewer than 24 weeks of professional instruction. So you need to be a pretty much a beginner, right? Yeah. Novice, um, used to be called walk trot canner. So that's basically for riders who haven't done any USEF slash USHJA showing. So, um, you know, for, for, uh, there's two levels of novice and for the upper level of novice, you, you basically could have ridden your whole life, but if you've never done any recognized showing, then you can still qualify for that. And then the classes that involve both flat and fences are limit, intermediate, and open. Now, when you think of the open level, you think of those kind of metal McClay kids, you know, the, the big at kids that have done a lot, or even uh, an eventer who has done a lot of upper level eventing would go into the open level. And then the, the limit and intermediate, it just depends on how many blue ribbons you've won over what height fences. So I. So basically you have kids that are going off to college. Yes. And they could have never ridden a horse or, you know, been out showing every weekend. Yeah. So you have a division for whatever level they are coming into college. Absolutely. And that's the beauty of the IHSA. And that was Bob's dream from the beginning was to have it for, for all levels. And it's really, it's so exciting. As we know, riding is such an individual sport mm -hmm. and it's so exciting, especially for these uh, metal McClay kids that have done a lot of showing for them to come into a college program and have it be a team. And, you know, on the side of the ring or before their class, those open and intermediate riders are helping those lower, lower level riders get ready. And when I coached at Dartmouth, my flat practices were mixed. So I, I just had the ability to be able to do different levels, but those lower level riders are watching and learning from those upper level riders. So it, it's, it's so exciting to see that as a coach and watch that learning, you know, happening as, as you go so along. If, if, uh, if a kid goes to college and she took her horse, would she still ride the school's horses in these competitions? That's a good question. We, we used to offer boarding uh, at Dartmouth or, you know, even now when students ask me what they should do. At a lot of these schools, the horses are so nice. Like if you're going to SCAD, the Savannah College of Art and Design, if you're going to school in Virginia, if you're going to, you know, Mount Holyoke, the school horses are, are most of them are donated and they're, they're high-end show horses. I would say for the most part, my advice would be go ride those horses. 
you know, go, go, don't take your own horse. Plus taking your own horse, we know how much time that takes up. Yeah. Especially first year students for, you know, for their freshmen, for their first year, come and meet other students, come and be part of clubs, come and do things that maybe you have never even done before and, and come to school. And then after that, if there's a place that offers boarding, then decide if you're going to bring the horse. But on the team, if, if somebody um, was a boarder and they were on the IHSA team, they did not ride their own horse in team practices because you have to have the ability to catch ride and, and ride different horses than your own. Now, well, I was going to say that the, the chance to ride a whole bunch of horses is an experience that a lot of people don't get, but it's so important. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's so valuable. And, you know, um, boarders could volunteer their horse for horse show day. And because it's all by chance, if you happen to draw your own horse, you know, more power to you. Now, some, some of the regions around the country do have regional rules that don't allow for you to ride your own horse, you know, just for, to, to really make it fair and really make it total luck of the draw. But, but that just depends on the, on the school. Right. So then there's the Western divisions. There's uh, kind of the equivalent of the Hunsey divisions. There's beginner, rookie, level one, level two, and open, and, and reining. So only open riders can do reining. And to, in order to ride in the reining, you have to um, be in current professional instruction or something. They're very careful about yeah. uh, riders that do reining. So there are over 400 colleges and universities across the country, and there's some in Canada. So pre-COVID, those Canadian teams, you know, near like the St. Lawrence University region, they were going across the border to, to go to the horse shows. Um, it's, uh, you know, people always, when they hear what I do uh, or that I now am the retired coach, they're like, uh, a quest, equestrian? I've never even heard of that. What is that? Like five schools offer it? And I say, no, it's 400 colleges and universities and over 10,000 riders and their jaws drop. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, yep. Um, in the IHSA, it's both men and women. Uh, club and varsity there has been some there. The other organization is called the NCEA, and I'm going to talk about that. That's the National Collegiate Equestrian Association, and they're women only, and they're more of the top level riders. And um, they, a lot of people call that varsity and the IHSA club like a club sport, but at Dartmouth, we were division one varsity. So within those 400 colleges and universities, there are about 60 to 70 that their equestrian teams are uh, varsity. So varsity and club compete together in the IHSA. I want to go back yeah. to college and do this now. They didn't have this. I know, I know, I know. 
Um, there are numerous scholarships and recruitments available. That's another misconception that only the NCEA recruits and gives scholarships. But uh, many, many of the schools in the IHSA, if, if they don't give athletic scholarships, they, they have a lot of other um, scholarships and financial aid. Um, horses are furnished by the host college, I already told you that, and are you know, drawn out of a hat. There's no warm up allowed. So to me, that is the most outrageous thing. Like I, when I was in college, they had an IHSA team at Lake Erie, but I, I didn't do it. I was like, I can't imagine going somewhere and just getting on a horse and, and going. So uh, that is impressive. Um, there are, as you work your way through the regular season, there are qualifying classes for both individuals and teams. You can qualify for regionals. If you're in the top two in your classes at regionals, you can qualify for zones or on the Western side, they're called semifinals. And then you can qualify for nationals. And at the nationals each year, they're normally held in the first weekend in May uh, in different locations. We've been to the Kentucky Horse Park, we've been to Harrisburg, we've been to California. Um, the IHSA Nationals outgrew having it at college um, or university facilities. So it's now in big, you know, right. big, big giant arenas. Okay, so I have one question about the no warm up allowed. Yes. You are in a, a hunter over fences division and you have never jumped this horse? Correct. So you don't even get to trot it around once? Nope. You just go right into the arena? Yep. And hopefully the horses that the colleges have are horses that will go. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and and that that is. Now, there are three stewards at each show. And those stewards, if there's a horse that's unsuitable, whether... Uh, it's going to take off with somebody or it just, you know, let's say the horse in its first round over fences had a few stops, you know, it, it, the stewards can get that horse reschooled and then make decisions. So there, there, there are people watching out for you. And so that leads me to another question. Are the horses warmed up before the students get yes, on? Yes. Okay. Absolutely. The horses, when, when you travel to a horse show, in the morning, those horses are warmed up. Most places have fences first and then flat in the afternoon. So the horses are warmed up. We get to watch them warm up. Okay. If there's any questions, like if, if a horse say uh, repeatedly was trotting in front of a fence or something, you know, when it was supposed to be cantering, I can go up to either the horse provider or to a steward and say, can we just see that horse go again and make sure that it can canter the whole course. So, so, so who warms the horses up? Well, that, that's an interesting question because when you're an entered rider, you can't warm them up. So, so uh, like at UNH, let's say they get their alums to come back and be oh. warm up riders. Or if they have uh, at Dartmouth back when we used to have a community riding program, I'd have my community riders warm the horses up. So you just have to find someone else to do it. Someone very capable. 
Right. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Okay. So there are many scholarships within the IHSA. Um, you can go to ihsainc.com and that's a great resource for you because not only can you look up, uh, there's a whole uh, tab uh, called scholarships. And once you're in the IHSA, you can, you can apply for those. Um, there's also the Teresa McDonald uh, scholarship challenge is an online horsemanship test. And I would um, make my team, yes, make, they had to all take the online test, uh, which was very hard. It, I, I took it a couple years and, and it's hard. And then the top two scores from each zone. So we were in zone one, which is all of New England, are invited to nationals for a practicum. And um, in 2019, one of my Alaska Pony Clubbers, Erin McCarthy Keeler, you might even remember her, her mom yeah. uh, kind of ran, ran that clinic, but she was the 2019 national champion and she won $1,500. Wow. So, uh, and before her, I had Anna Knowles who was a Pony Clubber from California and she won it two years in a row. So. Wow. Yeah, so Dartmouth had quite the uh, the run on the uh, Teresa McDonald challenge. That's awesome. So notable IHSA alumni, uh, of course, BZ Madden, who I talked about earlier in the inaugural IHSA class. So she's an Olympian and gold medalist, and she rode for Southern SEM back in the day and won the Cassion Cup, which is our highest medal class in the IHSA in 1984. And Peter Wild, uh, who I, I think I misspelled his name, sorry, Peter, uh, but it's close, uh, won the Cashion Cup in 1986 while attending Tufts University. He also won the McClay finals in 1982. Wow. So the National Collegiate Equestrian Association, um, a lot of people will refer to this as the NCAA, um, but it's, it's that the, the NCAA, who, who's the uh, national, uh, uh, national Collegiate Athletic Association um, also, uh, the N at Dartmouth, we had to follow the NCAA rules, even though we didn't ride in the NCEA. So I know it's confusing, but the NCAA has determined that the NCEA is the ruling body for collegiate equestrian. Okay. So the NCEA started in 1998 when equestrian was identified by the NCAA as an emerging sport. Currently, there are 26 participating schools um, across the country. They compete in jumping seat and Western. Um, they compete, they call it jumping seat equitation, which is, you know, just exactly what it sounds like. It's a, a little bit different from traditional hunter seat equitation, where it's more uh, for jumper type fences and that sort of thing. 
Um, scholarships, 80% of NCEA student athletes have some scholarship. Now, the, the, out of those 26 schools, um, some, each school could give up to 15 1-5 scholarships, but, but some schools are allowed to break those up into smaller scholarships. So some uh, students get full ride and some get partial, but 80% um, of the riders. I can't get an exact number of how many athletes are in the NCEA, but with 26 teams, that you know, guesses have been from like 700 to 800 as far as total numbers that ride in the NCEA. As far as recruiting goes for the NCEA, most is done by video and the coaches attend medal finals or on the Western side, the Quarter Horse Congress. I'm not up on, on, on the names of the horse shows for the Western side, but the coaches will go and, and observe those riders. I talked to Larry Sanchez yesterday for my podcast. He coaches the Oklahoma State University team. Wow. And he, he said something very valuable for our um, any high schoolers that are watching this. And that is, he doesn't just go watch them perform in their class. He will be in the arena watching, you know, like if they're getting warm up lessons from their coaches or uh, I don't think he actually goes in the barn, but he tries to find out more, like how teachable that rider is. And are they actually listening to their coach <laughs> or do they have an attitude problem? What kind of, he said, if they're going to be with me for four years and with so much time spent on the team and in the barn, he said, I want to know that they're a good quality person. And I just, I thought that that was, and that that's true too of IHSA coaches. You know, we, we don't, we, we love to teach and we love to teach those who want to be taught. So we're looking for those all around riders. Um, the level of competition I mentioned very, very much in the beginning is more of those upper level riders. So they're, they're the equivalent on the hunt seat side of the intermediate open riders on the Western side of the open and rainers, you know, type riders. The team members also ride the host school's horses, but in the IHSA, when Dartmouth would go to a competition, we'd compete against the other 11 teams in our region at every show. In the NCEA, they compete head to head. So if um, Fresno is going to a competition at South Carolina, those are the only two schools that are there. Oh, okay. Yeah, but, but uh, and they have one rider in each class, but um, one of the coaches also told me that they, that they also will offer, uh, and I'm, oh, exhibition, exhibition classes. So there are opportunities for the other, you know, if, if there's 50 athletes on the team, you know, maybe four to eight are representing that team level, but there's also other classes that are, that are offered for those other athletes. So they, they do get a, options to, com, to compete also. Many NCEA schools also have recruiting camps hmm. where uh, 
you know, uh, potential uh, prospective student athletes can go be seen. So now I'm just gonna talk for a minute about some of the other organizations. Oh, I'm checking my time. I should probably talk a little faster. <laughs> so there's the Intercollegiate Dressage Association. It's about 76 schools, around a thousand riders. And the levels are walk, trot, intro, training level, and first level. You ride the host school's horses, but you get a warm up. So you get to, uh, each team draws a group of four horses, but then the coach can decide who will ride which horse, which is nice. So it gives you a little more uh, flexibility than the other type of riding. So that's separate from the IH? Yes. Okay. Yes, these are all separate organizations. Yeah. And, didn't realize that. Okay. and in this case, separate disciplines, right? Right. So there's collegiate eventing, however, they do not go eventing on strange horses, horses or not strange horses, horses that they are not familiar with, right? Right. They ride their own or their school's mount. Um, and generally they compete at existing events that offer collegiate entry. It's fairly new, but it is growing. Yeah, because it takes a lot of effort to put on an event. Yeah, exactly. I've been involved with that. <laughs> exactly. There's the Affiliated National Riding Commission, which is traditionally held in April. Um, uh, basically, it's a program to promote forward seat riding. So they'll have a program ride. They'll do a equitation metal type course, a derby course, and they also have a written test. So they are talking about, um, you know, adding horsemanship in. There's the uh, Collegiate Polo Association that's played at over 40 schools throughout the US. Uh, they, I think they mostly play arena polo rather than field polo, but you can, you can uh, find out more from them. There's the Intercollegiate Rodeo Association. Uh, I don't know much about that, but I think I'd really like to go watch one of those <laughs> competitions. Yeah. Okay, so finding the school for you. Okay, so can I, I didn't realize there were so many different programs available yes. at collegiate level. Mm -hmm. um, somehow I had the dressage lumped in with the Hunter and Western. No. Uh, but, but that's fascinating to see that there's, so, so if you have a particular, well, you're going to talk about finding the school. So now we're going to find out, like, if yep. I am really interested in something. Okay. Yeah. So most important, first off, is that you find that academic fit for you. You find the school, then the team. So, you know, what's most important is actually the rest of your life, not just the four years. Even though you think, uh, you know, riding on the Dartmouth team or Mount Holyoke team is the be all end all, it really supplements your academic career. And that's what you're there for. So, are there, um, since there's 400 universities, you said, right? So I'm sure that there are all different levels of ap academic standard that yes. riding per, because I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but in my memory, it used to be very exclusive schools, or, you know, private schools and that, so more on the expensive side, but now it sounds like it's way opened up. Yes. Yeah, definitely. And, and it just, you, you, you have to do the work. Coaches are not going to come to you. So you can go on the ihsainc.com website, find a team, and there's an actual search button to find wow. 
you know, how, uh, and some schools are better than others as far as having websites and that sort of thing, but go on social media. You don't know, follow the team that you're interested in on Facebook or kids use more Instagram, but, but follow them and, and see if it looks like it's the kind of atmosphere that you want. Call and email, talk to coaches, find out how much you're actually going to be able to ride, find out how much you're actually going to be able to compete. And I did this as a mother of my own. I have three children and my middle daughter wanted to ride in college. And of course, I know all the coaches, so it was easy for me. But, uh, you know, it was really important to her that she get to ride more than once a week. So that was a big question that she was asking those coaches. Go for campus visits. You know, if you don't like the city, you don't want to go to NYU. You know, if you love the outdoors and, and upstate New Hampshire, then you might want to go to Dartmouth or Cornell or, um, you know, University of New Hampshire. There we go. Um, go for an overnight if you can uh, and stay with a, a student, preferably a student on the team. And so you can really pick their brain and, and hopefully you can go watch a practice and all that kind of thing. Attend an IHSA or an NCEA or, or IDA or whatever discipline you're interested in, you know, it's a hard time to actually talk to the coach, but it's a great time to see what it's actually like. Yeah. Prepare your questions. I was always amazed when I'd have a student sit down in front of me at Dartmouth and say, uh, you know, I'd say, what, what questions can I answer for you? What do you want to know about riding at Dartmouth? And they're like, mm, I don't know. You know, it, you need to, you need to do some research. Talk to the team members and especially find out what the team cost is. At a lot of schools that are varsity um, or part of their equine studies program, there are no costs or maybe there's a, a, a set fee um, at, you know, a lot of schools, students do have to pay for their own entry fees and they have to, you know, contribute to the cost of the coach coaching them. So what I'm saying is there's a wide variety of costs for the student. Find out what team activities, you know, what else does the team do uh, besides just compete? Do they volunteer? We used to uh, volunteer at the Upper Valley Humane Society. Um, do they have clinics? We had Ann Krasinski come to Dartmouth. We, Denny Emerson is yeah. a Dartmouth alum and lives half an hour away. He would volunteer a clinic for my, my team in the fall. So that was great. Spring break training. I would take them down to Kimberton in Ocala uh, over spring break. Fox hunting. I, I'm mentioning all the Dartmouth things because like I said, that's what I know best. Yeah. I'd take, take two of my seniors fox hunting every year so that they could experience that. We'd play a little polo cross. They had team dinners. They had team study sessions. So all those questions you want to be asking. Um, getting recruited. So 
there are some kind of like clearing houses. So I talked a little bit about a lot of a lot of schools do offer kind of recruiting camps that you can go ride at and learn more about the the organization that you'd be riding in. There's the College Preparatory Invitational, which is held in Florida and New Jersey each year. And you can go ride in front of a number of, uh, it's mostly IHSA coaches. They also have, um, each college has a, a booth. So you, you kind of get a lot of bang for your buck, right? You can go talk to a lot of college coaches that are all, all located in one place. There's the equestrian talent search, which is run by Jim Aragon. And, and he goes around, um, he used to go, he still goes to colleges, but he said he's changed it a little bit where he goes and does like a boot camp at different IEA teams, which is the Interscholastic Equestrian Association. And he'll talk about riding in college and um, they'll do a clinic and then they'll do a little mock horse show, which is also what they do at CPI. A lot of teams are gonna want a video. I personally did not want a 30 minute long video of you riding bareback through the field set to music. I, you know, I was a busy woman. I wanted to see the video of you jumping one course uh, or riding on the flat, depending. And so you need to ask the coach what they're looking for. Uh, out of curiosity, how many applicants did you get a year? For my team or for Dartmouth? For your team. Uh, for my team, I didn't really have that many a year. I would have, depending on the year, between 25 and 35. And I had around 25 on my team. So, so your turnover would be approximately, um, you know, about six or seven kids a year. Yeah. yeah. So that's not a lot of spots. No, right. That's right. But at uh, someplace like Mount Holyoke, she has 95 kids that try out and she has 40 spots on the team or 45. It just, it depends on the school. Right really. Um, you can find out the different levels at the IHSA website. You can um, look up collegiate equestrian for the NCEA schools. I get asked how early should you start looking? I started taking my daughter to the equestrian talent search when she was in eighth grade. So, you know, I mean, that's, that's very early, but um, you know, it just, it, it depends. Don't wait until your senior year spring break. Like you need to start a little sooner. Um, should you do more showing to qualify you for a higher level? As a coach, what I'd say the majority of us say is we want to put you as low as we legally can. So if you're in eighth grade, yeah, knock yourself out and you have endless resources, go for it. You know, keep, keep showing. If, if you're, if you come to me and you're uh, in the spring of your junior year and you really haven't done a lot of showing, I'm going to advise that you not show because I'll be able to show you in a, in a lower level and you'll be more competitive, right? Cause that's what it's all about is winning. <laughs> <laughs> The goal. We ought to keep a focus on the goal here. Can, can you tell I'm a little competitive? Ask anybody in my family. Like card games are not fun with me. 
So there's other places where you can ride. I just talked about the Interscholastic Equestrian Association. It's a huge organization. It's very similar to the IHSA where um, it's for sixth to 12th graders. I think they also have started younger than that for a part of it. Uh, team members ride the host Barner School Horses. Uh, riders wear traditional show attire and there's the website for Ride IEA. There are many, many, like 1200 teams and thousands of riders. So it's a very large organization. So this is at a high school level, basically. Yes. And yes. So the, how many high schools are involved with this? Well, a lot of it, you don't have to be a high school team. You could be the Maple Grove barn team, right? So, so you don't have to be either a prep school or a high school. Oh, okay. It can be a barn team. Okay. Yeah. But it's that so, age group. Yes. So I already talked a little bit about the Athletic Equestrian League that I started. Um, it's more objective scoring. You, you get a score and you get judges' comments, both on the flat and over ground poles or fences or in Western uh, for horsemanship and for your patterns. So, um, you know, at horse shows with my team, we kind of scratch our heads and not really know why the judge judged the way that they did. But in the AEL, um, it's more objective uh, format. They get scored, uh, their total score is 40% flat or horsemanship, 40% fences or patterns, and 20% unmounted practicum. And, and those questions are all taken from the Certified Horsemanship Association composite manual. So they have to learn horsemanship. Uh, they ride the host barns horses, and riders wear more athletic attire. You can see the rider there uh, at the top, boots, breeches, and collared shirt in team colors. They can wear their team name. You know, they could wear something like this. This is an athletic equestrian and they could have their name and their team name. Um, and you can find out more information at athleticequestrian.com. I've also started in the fall, um, athletic, AEL Collegiate, and we've been doing virtual because okay, no, it's no. yeah. Let me back you up a little bit because yes. I'm a little confused here. So, okay. so the Intercollegiate Equestrian Association that can be a barn. It's basically an age group, and they compete in teams. Like you would go to somebody else's barn and ride their horses in the competition. Yes, and it has rules under the IEA. Yes. Okay, and then the ACL is also can be barn competitions. Yes. And it's for basically, it looks like people almost any age. Yes. First grade through 12th and adults. And yes. so say you're riding at a barn yeah. and they belong to the AEL. And so you go to another barn, ride their horses. Yes. So it's basically team competition, uh, barn to barn. So you're going to somebody's barn. Yes, but it's, but it's more than one barn. So, um, you know, there might be eight different teams that are competing at one AEL competition. Okay. So how many, uh, I guess, barns, for lack of a better word, how many barns are in the AEL? The AEL is not as large as the IEA. Um, we are located all over New England, New York, uh, Virginia. We have about 
25 teams total. And so they'll compete in their local area. So in Virginia, in the, it's in the Roanoke area, they have three teams. So they'll compete against their teams. And then in New England, they'll compete against their teams on Long Island and uh, Brooklyn, they'll compete against their teams. But then nationals, everybody comes together. But what happened because of COVID, because of our scoring system, we were able to do virtual competition. So um, coaches took video of their riders and sent it in and then we had a judge judging it. So it was cool because instead of just at nationals, Virginia was competing against Massachusetts and New York against Rhode Island. You know what I mean? Yeah, so, there's been, um, I know that the Archery Association, they call them, po I think it's called Postal, but there's different organizations that have been working on this virtual yes. idea of competition where you video and you send in that video and right. the judge watches the ride. Um, so um, let me just ask this question. Like, say I, I personally am not riding at a barn. My horse is at uh, you know, I just have a private barn, but yes. somebody's riding at a barn and they want to be part of the AES. Yes. What do they do? They go to athleticequestrian.com and my information is all over there. They can, they can contact me at athleticequestrian at gmail.com and they can ask away and I'll be there to answer all their questions and guide them through and get them started. So you basically uh, get enthusiasm in your barn, you contact you, you tell them how to set up all the rules, yes. how to join, yep. and how the competition works. And then the horses from the barn, like, you know, you, you were saying how the horses for the IEC, um, somebody watched them and they were warmed up. So is there, are there stewards and things that go to these barns and check and make sure the horses are safe? Well, that, um, uh, yeah, yes and no. Like, you know, for in the AEL, there is a steward at each competition and they're making sure that the horses are safe. But but basically, yes, we we are trusting that um, if you have a large school horse program, uh, that that you follow rules and regulations and, and your horses are safe and appropriate for the level and that sort of thing. If if there ever, I've, I've never, I'm knocking on wood, but I've not, in the 10 years that it's been going on, I've not had any problems with the type of horses. And then for, for postseason, for nationals, I, I am responsible for hiring the horses that go into the competition. So I make sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, so this is a great way for somebody who is taking lessons at a barn that ha it's a lesson barn where they can really have a sense of community and right competition and enjoyment yeah. and get a lot of experience being on a lot of, which is so, again, so important to be able to ride a variety of horses. It's like driving a bunch of different cars. So you know how to get in the car and drive it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 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 Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So just briefly, this is my daughter that I was talking about. Um, she started with the little pony, worked her way up and a quick little story because I know so much about intercollegiate, she wanted to go to Suwannee in Tennessee. So even though she's a beautiful rider, as you can see, I made sure that she didn't do a lot of competition so that she could be at that lower jumping level and be very competitive. Well, she ended up not going to Suwannee. She ended up going to Colby Sawyer College, which competes against Dartmouth. 
oh dear so <laughs> i had this kind of kick-ass rider <laughs> beating my students <laughs> oh. but, but it was it, it was really thrilling to have her be part of it. You can see we, she got reserve high point rider and I got reserve high point team. So it was really fun to, wow. to, to be able to see her all the time. But she, awesome. she's a success, a collegiate success story. And she, uh, two years ago, they have an alumni division in the IHSA. And she, even though she lived in Chicago, she rode out there, she qualified for nationals and she rode in the national championships. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah. So there's just some of the success. Uh, the Dartmouth team won the Ivy five or six times. We went to nationals as a team. I had many individual uh, winners at nationals. And then my latest uh, project is Athletic Equestrian, the Riding in College series podcast. And it is live now on Spotify, Apple, and Libsyn. And um, so uh, there's my, e my email right there. Everybody can contact me or just uh, put in Apple or Spotify Athletic Equestrian and you should come to the podcast. So I'd love for you to listen. I interview different coaches. I'm gonna interview different heads of the different organizations and that'll all be on there. And you can also follow us on, um, Athletic Equestrian and Sally Batten Equestrian Clinics on Facebook and Instagram. Well, that's awesome. So, so uh, if you don't mind just unsharing your screen, we'll wrap this up. And, yeah. uh, you know, so I am so glad that you uh, have come on the webinar because I have to admit that it was a little jumbled in my head and all these right. acronyms would fly around. And I know, like, I know. Uh, you know, which one's that and how do they go together? So this has been fabulous because I've, I've been curious about it, but I haven't really known, you know, I, I didn't have the time to just go and investigate them all. Right. Yeah. Right. That's what, and then my other question is, um, so there's no reason why they couldn't also be in Pony Club while they're going through all these processes, right? Right. Yes, correct. Now, you know, well, Pony Club, I was going to say Pony Club has an age limit, but now they have horse masters, but certainly you could be a member of, of Pony Club and also be riding on a collegiate team. Yeah, right. absolutely. So there's no, there's no limitation that if you're on one of these teams, you can't do something else. You could still compete in the summertime and that sort yes. of thing. Yes. Right. That's awesome. And yeah. you know, what's so great about this is that one of my biggest concerns, having been in this industry for so long, is that it seemed like we were losing, you know, horses get marginalized. So somebody comes in and puts in a new housing development, they don't want the flies and the smell and they move the barn, right? Yeah. So we've yeah. been marginalizing horses in our society more and more. Whereas in Europe, they've integrated horses. There's a, you know, a barn and people live all around the barn and they're right. local and they go. Right. So this way, this um, hopefully will start bringing back that sense of community that horses are a good and valuable part of community. And there's certainly a great way to keep girls busy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's key. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and so it's great to see that they're coming up with these different competitions and things to just keep the interest up and build it. That's awesome. right. Right. Yeah. And then these riders are going out and sharing everything or, or a lot of them. A lot of the coaches I've been talking to actually came up through certain programs and now they're back coaching there. So, right. yeah. 
Right. That's awesome. Well, Sally, I want to thank you so much for uh, joining me today. This has been uh, great. And it's so fun to see what you're doing. And and uh, I don't think it's retirement, actually. No, no, I think I'm busier than I than I ever was. But a lot of that stuff I was doing while I was working at Dartmouth. So. Yeah, so it, at least it's a little bit easier. Yeah. That's but great. thank you. Thank you for having me, Wendy. I know this is valuable information that a lot of not only riders, but their parents are dying to have. So, well, that was the, you know, the thought that I was having more than anything is that anybody who has a horse crazy kid that they want to be able to uh, motivate to go to school, right. Or stay in school or excel in school. This is a great way to do it because they're right. combining that love of horses with academics. And that's just right. fabulous. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Sally, so much for joining me today. And thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Just remember, we're in week four of our, our five-week giveaway contest for our fifth anniversary of Surefoot Pads. And we'll do the drawing on my webinar on Friday. So make sure you enter and stay tuned for Friday when we, when we draw the winner. Great. Thanks, Sally. And, thank uh, you. Have Bye. a great spring. Take care. Bye.